0: Chapter 46 of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lever. Chapter 46 The Flood in the Magra. When it rains in Italy, it does so with a passionate ardour that bespeaks an unusual pleasure it is no soft dissolving in tears but a perfect outburst of woe wailing in accents the very wildest and deluging the land in torrents mountain streams that were rivulets in the morning before noon arrives are great rivers swollen and turbid carrying away massive rocks from their foundations and tearing up large trees by the roots the dried-up stony bed you have crossed a couple of hours back with unwetted feet is now the course of a stream that would defy the boldest these sudden changes are remarkably frequent along that beautiful tract between nice and massa and which is known as the riviera de levant the rivers fed from innumerable streams that pour down from the apennines are almost instantaneously swollen and as their bed continually slopes towards the sea the course of the waters is one of headlong velocity of these the most dangerous by far is the magra the river which even in dry seasons is a considerable stream becomes when fed by its tributaries a very formidable body of water stretching full a mile in width and occasionally spreading a vast sheet of foam close to the very outskirts of sarzana the passage of the river is all the more dangerous at these periods as it approaches the sea and more than one instance is recorded where the stout raft devoted to the use of travellers has been carried away to the ocean where the great post-road from genoa to the south passes a miserable shielding stands half hidden in tall ozars and surrounded with a hedgy swampy soil the foot sinks in at every step this is the shelter of the boatmen who navigate the raft and who and relays by day and night are in waiting for the service of travellers in the dreary days of winter or in the drearier nights it is scarcely possible to imagine a more hopeless spot deep in the midst of a low marshy tract the especial home of tertian fever with the wild stream roaring at the very door-sill and the thunder of the angry ocean near it is indeed all that one can picture of desolation and wretchedness nor do the living features of the scene relieve its gloomy influence though strong men and many of them in the prime of life premature age and decay seem to have settled down upon them their lusterless eyes and leaden lips tell of ague and their sad thoughtful faces bespeak those who are often called upon to meet peril and who are destined to lives of emergency and hazard it was in the low and miserable hut we speak of just as night set in of a raw november that four of these raftsmen sat at their smoky fire in company with two travelers on foot whose humble means compelled them to await the arrival of some one rich enough to hire the raft meanly clad and wayworn were the strangers who now sat endeavoring to dry their dripping clothes at the blaze and conversing in a low tone together if the elder dressed in a russet-coloured blouse and a broad-leafed hat his face almost hid in beard and moustaches seemed by his short and almost grotesque figure a travelling showman the appearance of the younger despite all the poverty of his dress implied a very different class he was tall and well knit with a loose activity in all his gestures which almost invariably characterizes the englishman and though his dark hair and his bronzed cheek gave him something of a foreign look there was a calm cold self-possession in his air that denoted the anglo-saxon he sat smoking his cigar his head resting on one hand and evidently listening with attention to the words of his companion the conversation that passed will save us the trouble of introducing them to our reader if he have not already guessed them if we don't wait said the elder till somebody richer and better off than ourselves comes we'll have to pay seven francs for passin on such a night as this it is a downright robbery to ask so much cried the other angrily what so great danger is there or what so great hardship after all there is both one and the other i believe replied he in a tone evidently meant to moderate his passion and just look at the poor creatures that has to do it as wake as a bit of wet paper they haven't the strength to make themselves heard when they talk out there beside the river the fellow yonder said the youth has got good brawny arms and sinewy legs of his own ay and he starved after all a cut of rye bread in an onion won't keep the heart up nor a jug of red vinegar though you call it grape juice on my conscience i'm thinking that the only people that preserve their strength upon nothing is the irish i used to carry the bags over the sleep mountain and the turks causeway on wet potatoes and buttermilk and never a day late for eleven years what a life cried the youth in an accent of utter pity fay it was an elegant life that is when the weather was anyways good with the bright sun shining and a fresh breeze blowing the white clouds away over the atlantic my road was a right cheery one and i went along inventing stories Sometimes fairy tales, sometimes making rhymes to myself, but always happy and contented. There wasn't a bit of the way I hadn't a name for in my own mind, either some place I read about or some scene in a story of my own, but better than all, there was a dog, a poor, starved lurcher he was, with a bit of the tail cut off. He used to meet me, as regular as the clock, on the side of the Curra nagila and come beside me down to the ford every day in the year no temptation nor flattery would bring him a step farther i spent three-quarters of an hour once trying but to no good he took leave of me on the bank of the river and went away back with his head down as if he was grieving over something wasn't that mighty curious perhaps like ourselves billy he wasn't quite sure of his passport, said the other dryly. Fay, maybe so, replied he with perfect seriousness. My notion was that he was the kind of an outlaw, a chap that maybe bit a child of family or ate a lamb of a flock given him to guard. But indeed, his general appearance and behavior wasn't like that. He had good manners, and, starved as he was, he never snapped the bread out of my fingers but took it gently though his eyes was darting out of his head with eagerness all the while a great test of good breeding truly said the youth sadly it must be more than a mere varnish when it stands the hard rubs of life in this wise tis the very notion occurred to meself it was the drop of good blood in him that made him what he was stealthy and fleeting as was the look that accompanied these words the youth saw it and blushed to the very top of his forehead the night grows milder said he to relieve the awkwardness of the moment by any remark it's a mighty grand sight out there now replied the other there's three miles if there's an inch of white foam tashin down to the sea that breaks over the bar with a crash like thunder Big trees are sweeping past, and pieces of vine trellises, and a bit of a mill wheel, all carried off, just like twigs on a stream. Would money tempt those fellows, I wonder, to venture out on such a night as this? To be sure, and why not? The daily fight poverty maintains with existence dulls the sense of every danger, but what comes of want. Don't I know it myself, the poor man has no enemy but hunger for you see the other vexations and troubles of life there's always a way of getting round them you can shade even grief and you can slip away from danger but there's no circumventin' an empty stomach what a tyrant is then your rich man sighed the youth heavily that he is dives honoratus pulcher rex Grigum. "'You may do as you please if you're rich as a begum.' "'A free translation, rather, Billy,' said the other, laughing. "'Or you might render it this way,' said Billy. "'If you've money enough and to spare in the bank, "'the world will give ye both beauty and rank.' "'And I've nothing to say again it,' continued he. "'The real stimulus to industry and life is to make wealth powerful.' gettin and heapin up money for money's sake is a debasin kind of thing but makin a fortune in order that you may extend your influence and mold the destinies of other that's grand and see what comes of it cried the youth bitterly mark the base and unworthy subserviency it leads to see the race of sycophants it begets i have you there too cried billy with all the exultation of a ready debater them dirty varmint you speak of is the very test of the truth i'm telling you it is because they won't labor because they won't work that they are driven to acts of sycophancy and meanness the spirit of industry saves a man even the excuse of doing anything low and how often from your own lips have i listened to praises at your poor humble condition rejoicing that your lot in life secured you against the cares of wealth and grandeur and you will again place god if i live and you preserve your hearing what would i be if i was rich but no, old an old voluptuary said billy with great emphasis on a word he had some trouble in discovering eating myself sick with delicacies and drinkin' cordials all day long how would i know the uses of wealth like all other vulgar creatures i'd be buyin' with my money the respect that i ought to be buyin' with my qualities it's the very same thing you see in a fair or a market the country girls goin' about hobbled and crippled with shoes on that if they had bare feet could walk as straight as a rush poverty is not ungraceful itself it's the trying to be what isn't natural spoils people entirely i think i hear voices without listen cried the youth it's only the river it's the every minute no that was a shout i heard it distinctly i the boatmen hear it now it is a travelling carriage i see the lamps cried one of the men as he stood at the door and looked landward they may as well keep the road there's no crossing the magra to-night by this time the postilion's whips commenced that chorus of cracking by which they are accustomed to announce all arrivals of importance tell them to go back beppo said the chief of the raftsmen to one of his party if we might try to cross with the mail-bags in a boat there's not one of us would attempt the passage on the raft to judge from the increased noise and uproar the traveller's impatience had now reached its highest point but to this a slight lull succeeded probably occasioned by the parley with the boatmen they'll give us five napoleons for the job said beppo entering addressing his chief Perdeo, that won't support our families if we leave them fatherless muttered the other who and what are they that they can't wait till morning who knows said beppo with a genuine shrug of native indifference princes belike princes or beggars we all have lives to save mumbled out an old man as he reseated himself by the fire meanwhile the courier had entered the hut and was in earnest negotiation with the chief who however showed no disposition to run the hazard of the attempt are you all cowards alike said the courier in all the insolence of his privileged order or is it a young fellow of your stamp that shrieks from the risk of a wet jacket this speech was addressed to the youth whom he had mistaken for one of the raftsmen keep your coarse speeches for those who will bear them my good fellow said the other boldly or mayhap the first wet jacket here will be one with gold lace on the collar he's not one of us he's a traveller quickly interposed the chief who saw that an angry scene was brewing he's only waiting to cross the river muttered he in a whisper when some one comes rich enough to hire the raft Sacrebleu! then he shan't come with us that i'll promise him said the courier whose offended dignity roused all his ire now once for all my men will you earn a dozen napoleons or not here they are for you if you land as safely on the other side and never were you so well paid in your lives for an hour's labor the sight of the gold as it glistened temptingly in his outstretched hand appealed to their hearts far more eloquently than all his words and they gathered in a group together to hold counsel and you are you also a distinguished stranger said the courier addressing billy who sat warming his hands by the embers of the fire look you my man cried the youth all the gold in your master's leathern bag there can give you no claim to insult those who have offered you no offence it is enough that you know that we do not belong to the raft to suffer us to escape your notice sacristy exclaimed the courier in a tone of insolent mockery i have travelled the road long enough to learn that one does not need an introduction before addressing a vagabond vagabond cried the youth furiously and he sprang at the other with the bound of a tiger the courier quickly parried the blow aimed at him and closely grappled they both now reeled out of the hut in terrible conflict with that terror of the knife that figures in all italian quarrels the boatmen did not dare to interfere but looked on as wrestling with all their might the combatants struggled each endeavoring to push the other towards the stream billy too restrained by force could not come to the rescue and could only by words screamed out in all the wildness of his agony encourage his companion drop on your knee catch him by the legs throw him back back into the stream that's it that's it good luck to ye shouted he madly as he fought like a lion with those about him Slipping in the slimy soil, they had both now come to their knees, and after a struggle of some minutes duration rolled clasped in each other's fierce embrace down the slope into the river. A plash and a cry half smothered were heard, and all was over while some threw themselves on the frantic creature whose agony now overtopped his reason and who fought to get free with the furious rage of despair others seizing lanterns and torches hurried along the bank of the torrent to try and rescue the combatants a sudden winding of the river at the place gave little hope to the search and it was all but certain that the current must already have swept them down far beyond any chance of succor assisted by the servants of the traveller who speedily were apprised of the disaster the search was continued for hours and morning at length began to break over the dreary scene without one ray of hope by the gray cold dawn the yellow flood could be seen for a considerable distance and the banks too over which a gauzy mist was hanging but not a living thing was there the wild torrent swept along his murky course with a deep monotonous roar trunks of trees and leafy branches rose and sank in the wavy flood but nothing suggested the vaguest hope that either had escaped the traveller's carriage returned to spezia and billy now bereft of reason was conveyed to the same place fast tied with cords to restrain him from a violence that threatened his own life and that of any near him in the evening of that day a peasant's car arrived at spezia conveying the almost lifeless courier who had been found on the river's bank near the mouth of the magra how he had reached the spot or what had become of his antagonist he knew not indeed the fever which soon set in placed him beyond the limit of all questioning and his incoherent cries and ravings only betrayed the terrible agonies his mind must have passed through if this tragic incident heightened by the actual presence of two of the actors one all but dead the other dying engaged the entire interest and sympathy of the little town the authorities were actively employed in investigating the event and ascertaining so far as they could to which side the chief blame inclined the raftsmen had all been arrested and were examined carefully one by one and now it only remained to obtain from the traveller himself whatever information he could contribute to throw light on the affair his passport showing that he was an english peer obtained for him all the deference and respect foreign officials are accustomed to render to that title and the prefect announced that if it suited his convenience he would wait on his lordship at his hotel to receive his deposition i have nothing to depose no information to give was the dry and not over-courteous response but as the visit it was intimated was indispensable he named his hour to admit him the bland and polite tone of the prefect was met by a manner of cold but well-bred ease which seemed to imply that the traveller only regarded the incident in the light of an unpleasant interruption to his journey but in which he took no other interest even the hints thrown out that he ought to consider himself aggrieved and his dignity insulted produced no effect upon him it was my intention to have halted a few days at massa and i could have obtained another courier in the interval was the cool commentary he bestowed on the incident but your lordship would surely desire investigation a man is missing a great crime may have been committed excuse my interrupting but as i am not nor can be supposed to be the criminal nor do I feel myself the victim. While I have not a claim to the character of witness, you would only harass me with interrogatories I could not answer, and excite me to take interest, or at least bestow attention, on what cannot concern me. Yet there are circumstances in this case which give it the character of a preconcerted plan. "'said the prefect thoughtfully. "'Perhaps so,' said the other, "'in a tone of utter indifference. "'Certainly the companion of the man who is missing, "'and of whom no clue can be discovered, "'is reported to have uttered your name "'repeatedly in his ravings.' "'My name, how so?' "'cried the stranger hurriedly. "'Yes, my lord,' THE NAME OF YOUR PASSPORT, LORD GLENCORE. TWO OF THOSE I HAVE PLACED TO WATCH BESIDE HIS BED HAVE REPEATED THE SAME STORY, AND TOLD HOW HE HAS NEVER CEASED TO MUTTER THE NAME TO HIMSELF IN HIS WANDERINGS. IS THIS A MERE FANCY? SAID THE STRANGER, OVER WHOSE SICKLY FEATURES A FLUSH NOW MANTLED. CAN I SEE HIM? OF COURSE he is in the hospital and too ill to be removed but if you will visit him there i will accompany you it was only when a call was made upon lord glencore for some bodily exertion that his extreme debility became apparent seated at ease in a chair his manner seemed merely that of natural coolness and apathy he spoke as one who would not suffer his nature to be ruffled by any avoidable annoyance. But now, as he rose from his seat and endeavoured to walk, one side betrayed unmistakable signs of palsy, and his general frame exhibited the last stage of weakness. You see, sir, that the exertion costs its price said he with a sad sickly smile i am the wreck of what once was a man noted for his strength the other muttered some words of comfort and compassion and they descended the stairs together i do not know this man said lord glencore as he gazed on the flushed and fevered face of the sick man whose ill-trimmed and shaggy beard gave additional wildness to his look i have never to my knowledge seen him before the accents of the speaker appeared to have suddenly struck some chord in the sufferer's intelligence for he struggled for an instant and then raising himself on his elbow stared fixedly at him not know me cried he in english Tis because sorrow and sickness has changed me. Then, who are you? Tell me your name," said Glencore eagerly. "I'm Billy Trainer, my lord, the one you remember, the doctor, and my boy!" screamed Glencore wildly. The sick man threw up both his arms in the air and fell backward with a cry of despair, while Glencore, tottering for an instant sank with a low groan and fell senseless on the ground end of chapter forty six recording by linda Andress.